Hello and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of April 24th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And I think I'd like to make another plug for the website before we start this week, sectorspiders.com. I do think that the overhaul of the website was tremendous. It's a Great resource for those of you who listen, for those of you who look at sectors, think about sectors, invest in sectors, and importantly, the update made the mobile experience that much better. There is an app. You can go and find the app in the Apple Store, but at a high level, this just, I think, highlights the amazing amount of resources that Sector Spiders offers to folks in the sector realm. And this podcast is hopefully part of that overall framework for those of you who listen on a weekly basis. And for those of you who do, if you could go ahead and like the podcast, I hear people on podcasts saying that a lot. So if you could go ahead and do that, give us a review, it would be much appreciated as we try and bring more and more people under the sector umbrella. But let's look back at the week. And I think you might get tired of me saying this because this was another week in which we had contradictory economic data. And I think that's what makes this market environment so challenging. We had housing data where you had housing starts and permits both missed. And we had a pretty big miss on existing home sales, which was a very low level. So just looking at the housing data from a textured perspective seems fairly weak. Not all that surprising considering the economic backdrop, the rate backdrop, and what we're hearing about the housing market more broadly in some of these key markets. Then you had manufacturing data. We had a pretty big beat on the Empire State manufacturing print. Then we had a big miss on the Philly Fed manufacturing. And then S&P PMIs were both better than expected, both for services and manufacturing. So if that's not confusing, I don't know what is. And then we got the leading economic indicators, which really wasn't confusing at all, and they didn't really mince words. So we had a negative 1.2% leading indicators print versus a negative 0.7 expected. That's the 12th straight month of declines. And if you look at the LEI over the six-month period between September 2022 and March 2023, it's down 4.5% over that period of time. And the reason I bring that up is because, as they said in the report, that's a steeper decline than what we saw over the prior six months, which was a 3.5% decline. So we've had 12 straight months of declines in the leading economic indicators and seems to be accelerating, at least in terms of the declines. And when you look again inside the report, I'll just read from it. Only stock prices and manufacturers' new orders for consumer goods and materials contributed positively over the last six months. The conference board forecasts that economic weakness will intensify and spread more widely throughout the U.S. economy over the coming months, leading to a recession starting mid-2023. So again, pretty cut and dry in terms of their expectations that we will see a recession here in 2023 and – Again, as we've talked about, the only thing that seems to be good in these leading economic indicators are the price of the stock market, which after a week in which the S&P 500 was up about or was down about 10 basis points is now up 7.66 percent, at least the S&P 500, is the only pocket 
of their leading economic indicators outside of some manufacturers' new orders for consumer goods and materials that is showing any signs of life. And again, the market is saying one thing, S&P up 7.66%. The economy is saying another. And again, depending on who you read or what you follow, people are torn on this. Some people think we're entering a new bull market. Some people think we're on the brink of the continuation of some bear market. And other people think we're going to avoid recession. Some think it'll be shallow. Some think it'll be deep. Some think, and these are the people who always think this, that we're going to end up in a depression. But the reality is, is that the economic data can be challenging for investors. Not exactly groundbreaking information or insight from me, which is not exactly what you come here for. But if you look at the flows picture last week, you saw 35 million new shares created and 21 million new shares created in XLF alone. That's roughly 700 million in net inflows over the one-week period. That's a pretty big number, and we've talked again and again about XLF being an institutional tool, a product that's used by a wide range of investors sometimes for more sophisticated strategies, whether it's options, whether it's shorting, or whatever it might be. But the the reality is, is that XLF has been a product that a lot of people have focused on because of the recent earnings we've heard from these big financial institutions. Of course, the regional bank stories that we've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast recently. But when you look at the performance this week, the worst performing sector was energy down 2.61%. But just behind it was communication services down 2.6%. Remember, we we look at the year-to-date performance of the various sectors in the market and it's sort of the mirror opposite of what we saw last year where XLC, XLY, XLK have been leading the market. Those were three of the worst performing sectors last year. And we're starting to see, at least this week, some of the defensive sectors start to pop again. Staples up 1.85%, XLV down 20 basis points, so underperforming the market, but it's certainly been a sector in focus. Utilities up 1%. This week. So whether or not we get a defensive rotation in the market or defensive outperformance, the reality is, is that depending on who you ask, recession is or is not coming and the market either does or does not price a recession in advance. And if it has already priced in a recession and has already sort of worked through a recession, then it makes sense that those more cyclically oriented growth-oriented sectors like communication services, like technology, like consumer discretionary would see that outperformance persist. If the market has not already priced in a recession, then in theory, the defensive sectors of the market are starting to show at the very least some fears about an economic recession or economic contraction. If you look at Overall volumes in the lineup, we had about 587 million shares traded across the select sector spider lineup. So a fairly average week in terms of volumes. We've been reading on a daily basis some of the notes that come across our desk on the ETF side. The volumes have been somewhat sparse over the course of the past couple of weeks. And I think it's partly because the market is looking for direction and is looking for an indication economically or from a policy perspective to give it direction and people to get that direction to put on significant trades. We did see 9 million shares created in XLP or Staples, 3 million shares created in XLV again in the defensive realm. And then we saw 5 million shares redeemed out of XLE, which is 425 million or so. And that outflows out of energy, which of course is a sector that we've talked a lot about and is a sector that is very polarizing for some investors. Now, 
One sector that I wouldn't describe as polarizing is staples, and that's the sector in focus this week. It was the best performing sector this week, but we also heard some interesting insights from a key company there. So Procter & Gamble reported fiscal third quarter results, and net income was about $3.4 billion, or a buck thirty-seven a share. And so it was up marginally from $3.36 billion the, the prior year, or the quor- same quarter last year. And what's interesting about that is it's up, right? But it's reflective of a sector that's fairly stable. That's why staples is defined that way. It's why it's talked about that way, and in some ways – why it's not all that polarizing because people don't think about staples all that much in terms of high action, high activity sectors in the market. But it's a really interesting sector in this economic environment because Procter & Gamble said net sales rose 4% to $20 billion organic sales. So when you take out some of the foreign currency effects, acquisitions, etc., increased 7% in the quarter. So in theory – in an economic environment where we're at the brink of or on the brink of a recession or economic activity is contracting, it makes sense that on a relative basis, people would be spending more on staples as opposed to some discretionary items. Now, one thing that's very interesting here is we hear a lot about China's reopening, and, and it's typically in the context of how's that going to impact commodity prices? How's that going to impact global growth? How's that going to impact discretionary spending? And interestingly, China is the second biggest market for Procter & Gamble, a staples company. And as China reopens, in theory, that opens up opportunities for staples companies like Procter & Gamble. So in some ways, this is this boring, stable sector of the market, typically defensive, and yet there's some leverage to or optionality on a China reopening story that people might not associate with China and specifically the stable sector. Here's a quote from the company. We're seeing, if anything, more careful usage of the product that they have bought. So they might use half a sheet of bounty paper towel as opposed to a whole sheet. Now, I think it's funny that he used paper towel as an example instead of toilet paper, but that's another conversation for another day. But the point is, these are the types of behaviors you see as consumers start to adapt to the reality of a challenging economic environment. Again, I'm not making a call on a recession, but this is a Staples company talking about how people are being more careful in their consumption habits. And in theory, that's reflective of a consumer that's a little bit worried about the nature of the economy. And when you look at the Staples sector relative to the market, it has a lot of the characteristics that you would expect. Slightly higher quality than the market, significantly less volatility than the market, significantly less growth than the market, which of course is weighted to growthier sectors and a dividend yield that is well in excess of the market. So when you think about it through just the economic lens, what are Staples companies? How do they interface with consumers? It makes sense that these companies are defensive. But when you look at it through a factor lens as well, it's also reflective of a sector that by and large looks a lot more like a defensive segment of the economy as opposed to a growth-oriented segment of the economy. Again, not all the groundbreaking, but reiterates the idea that when investors are trying to position based on their expectations economically, it might make sense that the market did price in 
the impact of a recession last year when you saw defensive sectors outperform and you're starting to see, at least so far in 2023, some of the growth-oriented sectors outperform. Whether or not that'll persist remains to be seen. In a one-week sample, which of course is nothing to write home about, Staples was the best-performing sector on the back of a really strong earnings report that is pretty interesting from one of the key companies in that sector. So looking ahead to next week on the economic data front, we're going to see more housing data, Case-Shiller, new home sales, both of which will give us increasing indications around the health of the housing market, specifically in some of these key markets. We'll get consumer confidence and sentiment, which again gets back to that quote from Procter & Gamble. We'll get a GDP print and we'll get PCE. So we get a lot of economic data this week, which will give us a feel for very key components of the economic backdrop and will either lend credence to that leading economic indicators report or perhaps show us signs that that leading economic indicators report is not reflective of the on the ground economic experience for consumers and the outlook from consumers as well as, of course, the measurement of the economy through the lens of GDP. On the earnings front, we just have a ton of earnings coming this week. More than 150 companies from the S&P 500 alone. That's 35 plus percent of the market, depending on how you slice it. We're going to hear from Microsoft, Alphabet, Coca-Cola, GE, Visa, newly minted financials company. And oh, by the way, that's just Monday. Later in the week, we're going to hear from Meta, Dow Chemical, Gilead, Amazon, Chevron, Merck. And that's just the companies I picked. There's a number of different sectors covered this week. In fact, if you think about it, every key sector of the economy is going to have a major company reporting this week. And it's going to give us, in addition to the economic data, a really important insight into what the market is looking at, what companies that service the market are expecting from the rest of the year, how that impacts guidance and in arrears, how that impacted the most recent quarterly earnings. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. I hope everyone has a wonderful week, and we'll catch you next time. Take care.